Good morning. Would you turn or tap in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that, I shortly, that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. This is an especially good morning, okay? It's the Lord's Day. So first and foremost, this morning God's mercies are new. They're new every morning. His faithfulness is great. So praise God for that. Secondly, the weather is superb. This is hot chocolate weather. And so I, I praise God for the common grace that's, in, that's outside right now. Thirdly, and this is last but certainly not least, uh, we have a special guest in our midst this morning, and it is my mom, Jennifer McIntosh. Yes, you can celebrate that if you'd like, sure. She's the young lady down here in the, uh, the orange jacket. She's amazing. Uh, and honestly, I can, I can say this in, in full honesty, that I would not be here I would not be here with you if it wasn't for Jennifer McIntosh, for my mom, um, for the patience that she showed me over the years, uh, for just modeling humility of, of Christ. Uh, we joke in our family that if it was possible, if you were in need of an arm or a leg, that Jennifer would saw off one of hers to give it to you, okay? Um, she truly considers the needs of others more important than her own. So I love you, mom, and I'm so grateful you're here. Uh, out of, you know, she's in North Carolina, typically, so she's with us in Texas, in the promised land of Texas this morning. We're grateful for that. Um, well, yeah, you can go ahead and just stay where you are in your Bibles, in Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, it has been a few weeks, a couple weeks, since we were in Philippians, so we're back in Philippians. We took a little break to spend some time in Luke chapter 10, uh, to be reminded that we are, if we are saved then we are also sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ to usher in the kingdom of God by heralding his gospel. So I want to jog your memory of where we were when we were walking through Philippians before we took that hiatus to go to Luke chapter 10. Several weeks back, we came across the biblical definition of humility. Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4, I'm going to read it for us. Paul writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So biblical humility, in essence, begins with an others-focused mindset. But that's not really where it begins. It begins with a God-focused mindset, right? That leads to an other, others-focused mindset. Paul reminds us in verses 5 through 11 of the humility of Jesus Christ. That when you have your mind set on the humility of Jesus Christ, you are more focused on those around you than yourself. We learned in verses six, uh, 5 through 11 that true humility is found in Christ and that if we want to grow in true humility and if we want to uh, decrease in pride, if we want to avoid false humility, then we need to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ and his cross. Verse 6 says, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be taken advantage of. But he emptied himself. How? Not by losing his divinity, but by adding humanity. It says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So humility is hidden in the sense that it is internally considering the interest of others more important than self-interest. It's hidden humility in the sense that it is considering others of more important than themselves, than oneself, more significant than oneself. But humility is visible and it is powerfully expressed externally. You can see it. How? Through the sacrifices that one makes for the sake of others. That's exactly what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We see his humility in the most clear-cut expression when he's hanging on your cross and mine to pay for our sin. After Jesus' humiliation, his crucifixion, there was his exaltation, that the Father exalted him to his right hand. He has given Jesus the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess when he comes, that he is Lord. In verses 12 through 18 in chapter 2, we were encouraged to respond to that humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. How? By bowing and by joyfully walking in obedience to Christ as Lord. And now in verse 19 through 30, where we're spending time this morning, Paul puts forward two men in particular who embodied the humility of Christ. They were models of his humility. So keep that in mind and look with me at verse 19. We're going to read through this again. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for they all seek their own interests 
not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he's served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him to you just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So here we go. we got two men that Paul puts forward. Models of the humility of Christ. Epaphroditus and Timothy. Men like these should be identified in our midst. They should be honored. They should be imitated. And they too should be sent out on ministry assignments, sent out on mission. So here's the first point for us this morning of two. Paul hoped to send Timothy ASAP. Look at verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Well, why send Timothy? The first reason that Paul gives for his desire to send Timothy is to get news of the Philippians. He wants to know how the Philippians are doing. See, Paul is just as concerned with the Philippians as the Philippians are concerned with Paul, who is in Rome and he is under house arrest. He's suffering persecution for the gospel. Paul loves the Philippians. The Philippians love Paul. Paul wants to know how they're doing. Proverbs 25, 25 says, Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Paul hopes to send Timothy to give good news to the Philippians. Hey, Paul's doing just fine. Hey, Paul might actually be released pretty soon. That's the update, hopefully. He also hopes that Timothy would return and that he could share with Paul some good news. Hey, the Philippians are walking in joyful, humble obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's amazing. It's a beacon of light in Philippi right now. God is being glorified. People are being saved. The second reason, though, that Paul wants to send Timothy is this. It says so that he would, he would minister to the Philippians. Look at verse 20. It says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Apparently, Timothy is one of a kind. This guy's set apart. Paul says he doesn't have anyone else to send that's like him. He is set apart in the fact that he is genuinely and sincerely concerned for the well-being of others that he's ministering to. There's a really beautiful prayer in 3 John, verse 2. It goes like this. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you 
and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And that's really the heart of Timothy. He wants people's well-being. He wants their welfare, body and soul. He wants, he wants things to be going well with him because he genuinely cares about the whole person. So I'd ask you this morning, who do you know like this? Think about it. Who do you know like this? Identify them. You should reach out. You should let them know. You're like this to me. And I love you. And I appreciate this about you. Who is this person in your life? It's typically the person that you go to when you are burdened. And you know that they'll meet you with compassion. Sincere love and compassion. You can see the concern like on their face. You can see their heart is broken through their eyes as they look at you. They'll sit with you in silence and just mourn with you a loss or a grievance, a burden. For me, the last five years, it's been my wife. It's been Rebecca McIntosh. So easy to go to her when I'm burdened. It's been my brother Jeff, who's always been at a distance from me, and yet a phone call away, a FaceTime away. It's been my mom, my dad. Most recently, it's been Andrew Cummings, John Woodruff, Tom Weichel. I love you guys. I appreciate your, your willingness to meet me when I'm burdened by something. My heart's heavy. It's been my community group that just got kicked off this fall. It's been men like Nathan Bogue, Claudio Cavallo, I always butcher your last name, buddy. I'm sorry. You know, you just asked me last Sunday, how's your dad doing? You had a horrendous summer in his health. I just appreciate you for that. And there's so many more of you here in this church where my wife and I, we, we've come in, we're the new kids on the block, and you have loved us, and I know, I mean, you, there's sincerity in it. And so we're so glad to be a part of this church with you because of that. So again, I, I think it's important that you ask yourself, who are those people for you that genuinely care about your welfare? I mean, Timothy was the guy. He was the guy that stood out in Paul's mind when he's thinking about that. And he's more than just that. He's more than a model of humility. He's more than someone who genuinely and sincerely can cares, uh, cares about the concerns of others. He is concerned with the interest of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, he is so in love with Jesus, he's so concerned with what Jesus is concerned with, that he therefore has concerns for those people whom Jesus loves around him. Look at verse 21. He says, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How is a son with a father? He has served with me in the gospel. Paul's saying Timothy's different than those people who are serving themselves. He genuinely serves Christ and others. He's most likely referencing uh, the people who are uh, full of envy and rivalry. It's people that he referenced back in chapter 1, verse 15. I'll just read it for you. But he, he says this, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, 
but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So he's contrasting, Paul, he's contrasting Timothy, who's preaching Christ sincerely, Timothy, who loves and is concerned for people's welfare genuinely, authentically, to those who are in ministry, they're doing ministry, but they don't care about the people that they're ministering to. They don't pray for them. They don't think about them. They think about themselves. Timothy's character, on the other hand, it's genuine. He's not just a model of humility. He's a model of authenticity. Look at verse 22. He says, You know Timothy's proven worth. Time is a great test of character. Because again, there's false humility out there. But true humility is shown over time through trials and testing. It's shown through sacrifice and service. Timothy's faithfulness to Christ and the gospel, it was known by the Philippians. Remember, Paul planted this church 10 years prior to writing this letter to the Philippians. And then he's an apostle. What did he do? He continued on, planting more churches, preaching Christ elsewhere. And so what did he do? Did he leave the Philippians without leadership? No. Timothy lingered there. He stayed with that church plant. He, he was there with this infant church, helping it to be nourished and to grow up. He was ministering. He was preaching the word. He was evangelizing. He was counseling. He was caring for people. They had seen Timothy's proven worth. Church, this has been a church that has existed for about 10 plus years, hasn't it? Church planting ain't easy. First 10 years ain't easy. You know that. So many of you know that. You've been here from the very beginning. Timothy's character was proven through many trials. And you who have been here from the very beginning or maybe soon thereafter, you have had your faith tested through many trials. Multiple trials. But by God's grace, the Holy Spirit has given you fortitude to continue on. He has tested and he strengthened your faith through the course of 10 plus years of ministry. And Timothy is a reminder to us that the context that you are presently in is your ministry. Trials are ministry. And trials and the ministry that we are in, they're also the training grounds for future ministry. Ministry, it's testing and it's strengthening our faith. Lean in. Embrace it. In our weakness, God's power is made perfect. I'm not a competitive athlete or a gym rat or anything, but I, you know, I've, I've heard about CrossFit. I've heard about these guys and, and ladies that go in. It's just intense workouts. And, uh, and they train in the gym, right? And they also, their competitions where they perform are in the same context. They're in a gym. And they're lifting just ridiculous amounts of weight at a heavy uh, or at a, a fast frequency, a pace. I just can't do that. I'd fall apart. But that's what ministry is, really. It's, we're training in the trials of ministry, and we're being strengthened in the trials of ministry, and that's where we're doing ministry. That's where we're performing for the Lord and for one another, is in those trials, in those difficulties. Paul says he has served with him in gospel ministry. And that word served is slaved. 
reiterating that this is hard work. It's a grind. Timothy was more than a ministry partner that served with Paul, though. It says he was like his own son. He was like a spiritual son to Paul. He loved him. He was always by his side. He was like a father-son duo out on the driveway working on the family car. They were in the trenches of ministry together. And I love 2 Timothy 3, 10 and 11, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. And what's amazing about this is that Paul's not saying, Timothy, you've, you've followed my podcast, brother. Or you, you subscribe to my YouTube channel. He's saying, you were there. You've seen it. You haven't just heard about my patience. You haven't listened to my teachings online. You have been there with me. You don't just know of the trials that I've been through. You experienced them with me, and you watched. How's he going to respond in the midst of this difficulty? Your children are watching you. Parents, how how are you going to respond in the midst of this difficulty? Get on your knees and pray. Show them what it looks like to faithfully walk with God through difficulties of life in this fallen world. The word followed, where he says, you have followed my dot, dot, dot. It means followed closely. It means not at a distance. Timothy was there with Paul, like a father-son duo. And this kind of relationship, this discipleship is pretty common in the, in the Bible, if you think about it. We've got uh, Moses and Joshua, got Elijah and Elisha, you got Jesus with Peter and James and John, you got Peter with Mark, and you got Paul with Timothy. And there's many more examples. But I think there's something here for us. Aspiring leaders in the church need to prove themselves by serving with and under leaders in the church. This is where you not only learn how to lead, but you learn what it looks like to be led yourself. So when does Paul want to send Timothy, his spiritual son, to Philippi? As soon as possible. 23. Look at verse 23. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So Timothy is currently with Paul in Rome while Paul's in house arrest. He's ministering to him. Paul wants to send him to Timothy, but he's waiting, right, until he knows what's going to happen. What's the verdict? When is the trial going to happen? And and we're going to know, is Paul going to be executed or is he going to be released? He's waiting. But if he was to send Timothy tomorrow, for, for instance, that would be 800 miles trip, give or take. It's a long journey, and then he wants Timothy to come back, so that's 1,600 miles round trip. It's not easy. Timothy doesn't have a Ford F-150 to go with him. He's, he doesn't have, you know, hotels like we do today. He would be dependent upon the hospitality of many people. This is not an easy journey that Timothy would go on. It almost killed Epaphroditus. We'll get into that in a little bit. But Timothy is willing to go. He's willing to do whatever it takes, whatever's necessary to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ and to edify and strengthen the church of Christ. I just love that. I love Timothy. Can't wait to study 1 and 2 Timothy with you. 
Dr. Stephen Lawson, he reflects on this and he points out an important principle in Christian ministry. And here it is. Write it down. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. What are we as a church willing to sacrifice for the sake of advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ? What are we as individual members and families within this church, this one community, what are we willing to sacrifice? What will it cost us to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? Blood, sweat, tears, time, money, resources, recreation, comfort, pride. What will it cost us? Paul wants to send Timothy. Timothy's willing, but they're waiting for that right moment. But apparently Paul is pretty confident that a moment's coming. He, he thinks he's going to be released pretty soon. I guess he's you know, get, getting some, catching wind that he's going to be released. But he's not only confident that he's going to send Timothy, he's confident that he too will join Timothy in Philippi and they'll just rejoice all together. And we know because we, we know that we've got all of the New Testament, we know that he ultimately was released. But I want you to see here that he's so eager to send Timothy because Paul knows something that you've experienced. He knows the power of the ministry of presence, of someone who's there with you, especially when things are hard, right? Especially when you're burdened, especially when it's been a hard week. He knows the power of the ministry of presence. Presence. He didn't just want to send a letter. He wanted to send a person. He didn't just want to send a person. He wanted to send his very best. He wanted to send his spiritual son to be with the Philippians, to model humility. I'm pretty sure, having spent a lot of time with Paul in the scriptures, that he, he probably would not be a huge fan of the satellite campus uh, church model ministry. He, he probably would have liked it for this extent that, that it was advancing the gospel, but he probably would have preferred to have not a person on a screen, but an actual pastor in the presence of his people worshiping the word and spirit and truth. Um, and I think, I think we can learn from people at a distance. I, I definitely think we can. Uh, you know, having been uh, in seminary the last, I don't even know how many years, and I've learned a lot from professors online, and I've learned a lot from going in modular classes to be with them in person, right? You can definitely, you know, learn through podcasts and YouTube channels and, and other things. Uh, uh, you can be discipled by those people. But man, there's something different when you're with those people. And when you're watching those people actually do ministry, right? There's a power in presence, and again, the, the, the ministry that you've experienced, when people have been with you in the lowest point of your life and they've just sat there and they didn't even say anything, there's power in that. There's humility in that. We learn from that. We grow from that. Humility is not just taught. You can't just take a class on humility. It's got to be caught. You need people around you with humble hearts so you can see it flesh and blood. So Paul hoped to send Timothy as soon as possible, but he needed to send Epaphroditus immediately. 
Why? Because Paul wanted a a model of humility with the Philippians right away. Right away. And that's my second point. Paul needed to send Epaphroditus. Look at verse 25. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. Well, who's Epaphroditus? Strange name, Epaphroditus. He seems to be one of the spiritual leaders in the church in Philippi. Paul refers to him as his brother. He's not talking about biological brother, right? He's not a blood brother, but he's a brother in Christ. This term, my brother, it's it's a term of endearment. It's a term of love. Paul and Epaphroditus absolutely love each other. But it's more than... Uh, he's more than just a brother in Christ. Paul says he's a fellow worker. He's on the ministry grind. He's a legit partner in ministry for the gospel. He's a hard worker. Ministry is hard work. And God who entrusts every believer with the gospel also entrusts us with the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us spiritual gifts, at least one, to every believer to be used within the body of Christ for the advancement of the gospel so that people could be reconciled to a holy God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We need you in this church. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20. It says this, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry, the message of reconciliation. As we looked at the last two weeks, right? Saved to be sent out to usher in the kingdom of God. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. This is who Epaphroditus was. He was a worker for the gospel. This is who you and I are, workers for the gospel, doing many different things to the glory of God so that the manifold wisdom of God would be made known in this area. He's more than just a worker Ministry is hard work, but it's also war. It's war. I've tried to make that very clear. I've tried to emphasize that the last two weeks. Epaphroditus is a fellow soldier. Christ sends us out, again, cautiously as sheep among wolves and courageously to proclaim a message that will absolutely experience opposition because it is a message that salvation is exclusively found in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Christian life is spiritual war. Epaphroditus was engaged in battle. He was wearing the full armor of God. He was not distracted. He was not entangled in civilian pursuits. His aim was to please the one who had enlisted him. And it wasn't Paul. It wasn't the Philippian church. It was Jesus Christ sent out by the church. But he was entrusted with the gospel by Christ. The more that you and I labor for the gospel because we've been entrusted with the gospel, the more you're going to experience opposition and hardship in this world. From the hostility of the world 
and from the spiritual warfare that wants to prevent you from being a witness to Christ in this community. The devil's not interested in opposing those who are sitting on the bench. The devil's not interested in changing anything in the life of a person who's making no difference for the kingdom of God. The devil will encourage that lifestyle to continue. The devil will support that ministry. He loves apathy. He loves laziness. He loves self-centeredness. He hates humility. Satan loves when we're like the kid on the soccer field that's picking flowers. No contribution to defending the goal. No contribution to advancing the ball into the enemy's goal, right? He loves it. He loves when a Christian within the body of Christ is not only not using their gifts, but he loves it when they're almost like an anchor to the gospel advancing. He loves it when, when a Christian's not only not helpful, but they're actually a hindrance to the gospel advancing in a local church. We are only as strong as our weakest member on this team. We need to take our role, whatever that role is, very seriously, and we need to leverage it to the glory of God together as a unit. Epaphroditus is referred to as your messenger and minister to my need. Again, he was sent out by the church to bring a financial gift to Paul. He's sent out by the Philippians to support Paul's ministry, his personal needs. We see that in uh, Philippians 4, 18. Epaphroditus made the journey that a Timothy is about to make, potentially, 800 miles. He made it, now he's going back. The word messenger there, it is the word apostolon. It's the word where we get the word apostle. Epaphroditus was not an apostle in the formal sense. He was not like the apostle Paul, but he was one that was sent out on a ministry assignment, on an official mission. And so in that sense, Epaphroditus and every believer is sent out to usher in the kingdom of God. We are all messengers of the gospel, right? He's also a minister. And that doesn't mean that he was necessarily had to be a pastor. The word is liturgos. It's used five times in the New Testament. It carries the idea of a priestly service, someone who's ministering in the temple and attending to the holy things. So what I love about that is it indicates that the hands-on task work that Epaphroditus was do, doing, bringing resources to Paul, carrying a message from Paul to the Philippians, this behind-the-scenes task work is priestly work. It's sacred calling. It is part of being a part of the royal priesthood of God, which every believer is a part of if you're in Christ. So cool. Maybe you've always thought that ministry is, well, it's a pastor in a pulpit preaching the word of God. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that's a, that is too narrow of a view on ministry. Ministry, it absolutely begins and is important with the gospel and the word of God being preached Absolutely. But it is not less than that. It is not only that, I should say. It is much more than that. It is when the body of Christ is using their gifts and we are working as one body, unity but diversity, and we are advancing the gospel. Satan is terrified of that. 
He's terrified of me telling you this right now. He wants you to miss this one point, if any point in this whole sermon. You are vital to this church, if you're a member of this church. There are needs in this church. I'm going to do a shameless plug. We, we actually have a really strong need right now for children's workers on Sunday mornings. We love to get to a six-week rotation, a true six-week. We need, it. maybe you're here and you're like, I don't have a place to serve yet. Consider serving there. Consider using your gifts there to take care of our little ones and point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a huge need. You can talk to me. You can talk to Andrew Cummings, who will be out here. You can talk to Jordan Ailey. Why send Epaphroditus? Why was Paul so urgent in his need to send Epaphroditus? Well, first and foremost, Epaphroditus was distressed. Look at verse 26. It says, He's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. So the first reason why Paul wants to send Epaphroditus is Epaphroditus is... He loves the Philippians, but it's more than that. He is distressed because he knows that the Philippians have heard that he was really, really sick. Do you know anybody like that? Who's less worried about their own health and they're more worried about someone being worried about their poor health? I do. I know people in this church I've talked to that are just, they're not concerned about their health, but they're absolutely concerned if we're worried about them, right? Right? I'll never forget the phone calls from my mom, from my dad, separate times in the past. And, and just the nervousness on the phone, over the phone, sharing that there's potentially cancer. Both times. Both my parents, they were more distressed about how their children would handle hearing that news than they were about facing the potential daunting realities of cancer. That's humble love. That's what that is. I appreciate you modeling that for me, Mom. That's what we see here from Epaphroditus. So Epaphroditus is distressed and Paul's stressed. Look at, look at verse 27b. It says, but God had mercy on him. Praise God, Epaphroditus is doing a little better. And he says, not only on him, but also on me. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him, and that I may be less anxious. Paul is basically saying here, he's, he's going, look, I don't want this guy to die on my account. Okay? I love Epaphroditus. I'm sending him back because I don't want his blood on my hands. And so even in Paul, you, you see a model of humility. He's more concerned about Epaphroditus than himself. There's so much humility in this text, but friends, it's not, it doesn't end on these people. It doesn't end on Paul. It doesn't end on Timothy. It doesn't end on Epaphroditus. It ends on Jesus because that's where they're getting it from. It's the humility of Christ that is driving this kind of humble love in these men. The third reason why Paul wants to send Epaphroditus is this. It's in verse 28. He says, I am more eager, the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again. He wants to send Epaphroditus so the Philippians would be blessed to, to increase their joy so that they would have a true model of humility in their midst that they could rejoice at being reunited and having fellowship together. 
How should the Philippians receive Epaphroditus when he returns? Not as a man who failed the mission, and now he's been sent back because he got the flu or whatever it was. No, he was quite successful. And so Paul is driving home the point here in verse 29 and 30 that Epaphroditus did not fail. He was successful. He says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And that's not a dig on the Philippians like, hey, you were lacking in service to me, and Epaphroditus, thank goodness for him, he followed through. That's not what that means. It's saying that they wanted to do this, and Epaphroditus has supplied what they wanted to do. He, he, is the, he is sent out on mission by the Philippians as their representative to Paul. But he says, receive him with joy. Paul wants it to be abundantly clear that Epaphroditus did not fail. Matter of fact, it was success in the most hyperbolic way. He risked his own life to accomplish the mission that he was sent on. And again, I don't want this to dead end on this man because he wouldn't want that. This was all because he was mindful of Jesus Christ and his cross, his sacrifice, to pay the penalty for our sin in full and to be able to, to say on that cross, it is finished. We just sang it so that we could rest assured that the work has been done. Mission accomplished. Grace, mercy, salvation through faith alone and Christ Jesus alone. John Calvin said this about Epaphroditus. He said, he would rather be negligent as to health than be deficient in duty. So the Philippians should receive him joyfully. And they should go beyond that. They should honor him for his humble, sacrificial, selfless service and love. Epaphroditus, he teaches us that there is no such thing as a risk-free Christian life. Christian humility is seen through sacrifice and risk-taking for the sake of others and for the sake of Christ. So friends, I, I want to encourage us to, to ask the question that I've encouraged us several weeks in a row, I feel like. Have I counted the cost of following Christ? Because there is sacrifice. It's risky. It's going to cost you everything. But it's worth it. In conclusion, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they're two models of humility. They're two models of the humility of Christ. And we need to identify these people, these humble people in our midst. We need to thank God for them. We need to, to look to them, look to their sincerity like Timothy, their sacrifice like Epaphroditus. We need to honor these men and women. We need to encourage them, support them practically, but also give them words of encouragement. We need to imitate their humility by keeping our eyes on Christ, leveraging our time, our gifts, our resources, to serve the interest of Christ and the welfare of others. And we need to send out these kind of humble servants 
with ministry assignments. Send them out on mission to plant churches with teams to multiply the humility of Christ in this world. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for sending Christ, the sacrifice of a father, sending his own son. Jesus, we thank you for sacrificing your life so that we may have the hope of eternal life. We thank you for your humility at that cross. Not thinking of your interest, not thinking of what was best for you, but with thinking of what was best for us. And we pray that that would lead us into greater holiness and greater humility. We pray, God, that you would help us to model humility more and more. We pray that you would give us more models of humility to look at in this church so that we can all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood and womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we may all grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Amen.